Hi friend, welcome to Open at the Top. I'm your host, Melanie McCulley. I believe that regardless of what your past looks like, we each have the opportunity to begin again in every moment. I've learned that when we choose love first, the possibilities waiting on the other side of our fear are infinite. Each week, I'll share my own wild and unedited stories of what radical change and transformation can look like, along with having the raw, deeper conversations with inspirational, game-changing guests. My intention is to inspire you and guide you into your next phase of becoming the unique, beautiful version of you that you were always meant to be, and to lovingly remind you that we each have the power to turn our pain into a purpose-driven life filled with joy and meaning. That unfolding journey begins now. All it takes is the willingness to remain open at the top. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to episode two of Open at the Top. I'm Melanie McCulley and I am your extremely honest host right now that's going to tell you exactly how difficult it was for me to get episode two out. I have some issues with technology right now and I have an old MacBook Pro and everything that I recorded and did this on last week decided to not work this week. So I have watched probably 12 or 13 tutorials and went to Best Buy and figured it out. And I know the sound is not as crisp and clear as I would like for it to be, but it's better than me just giving up and not putting out another episode because it's important to me to keep my commitment and my momentum up. So I just wanted to share that with you because there have been so many times over the past years that I've been wanting to put this project out that this kind of thing would have shut me down and I would have walked away. I would have given up and I wouldn't put it out there because it didn't sound perfect. It didn't look perfect. And I've got to put that aside. So as long as you can hear my voice and you're getting mostly the nugget of what I'm talking about, then we're going to be just fine. So, okay. Going into episode two, welcome back. I am so happy you're here with me and that you've decided to join me once again. I know that there are many options of things to listen to and places to go and stuff to do with your precious time. So I appreciate you sharing this time with me. And I'm just so happy you're here with me. I I appreciate you. I appreciate you being here. So moving into episode two, the title of this episode is The Whole Truth. And I'm just going to go into a little bit about what that means and what that's about. So you know what to expect moving into this episode together. One of the things that I realized over this past many years, and to be totally honest, again, it's been almost six years that I have had a podcast in me and I have been wanting to speak. And I've been coming up against these blocks of what to say, how much to say, what not to say. And really my intention with this, like I said in episode one, was that I begin here with love. And that is my intention. That is my foundation moving across the board with anything that I share is that everything is rooted and based in love because I'm here to serve on the highest level. And that requires me being radically honest. And so that was what I had to come to for myself over this past summer in 2020, realizing that there's a big chunk of my story that up until now, I have not been willing to speak about publicly for many different reasons, which I will get into. And what I realized is that all the other parts of my story that I am willing to talk about, which are super raw, nitty gritty, and pretty juicy, 
they all stem from my childhood and the way I was raised. And that is something that I have not been willing to even look at or be willing to open my mouth about out of fear of rejection and judgment and shunning. And that comes to that part, which is what I know now is that I cannot tell my story without telling the whole story. And the whole story is the truth about how it all began, going back to the beginning. And that is how I was raised. And I was raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses in a very devout Jehovah's Witness family. And it's a big deal. And it's something that I've never been open to share about publicly. And this is where it all stems from, my whole background, my life, my experiences, and my experience of it, which is very important to share that because I have five siblings. And it's funny because we can all retell a story of the exact same thing that happened, but all of us have a different way of telling that story because we each had a different experience of it, depending on what our age was, what our level of awareness is, was, and of how clearly we're willing to look deeply and honestly into what that experience was. So this is my experience of what I'm going to tell you. I also want to start by saying, even though I was raised in a very strict, extreme belief religion, I still had and have the most loving, beautiful parents and family. And that's probably why it's been the most difficult for me to speak about, because this is not about shaming or blaming anyone and not about even having judgment because most of my family members are still practicing Jehovah's Witnesses, which is where the conflict comes in. But I would not be serving in the highest level those who I'm wanting to help if I didn't speak about this part of my life. Because I know that there are so many people out there who have gone through extreme belief religions. I don't feel that I need to name them. If you've gone through one, you know what that is. And they feel very alone, isolated misunderstood, constantly in a place of feeling guilty for something, that they're not good enough, that they're not loved enough. Who is God? Is there a God? Do I hate God if there is one? And in the midst of all of that, trying to integrate into a new world that you know nothing about and having zero support from the closest people in your life, which are your family and your community, which are within your religious organization. And so those are the people, too, that I knew that by sharing this part of my story, the beginning, the root of where everything comes from for me, and all of my, we'll say, challenges, wow, a hummingbird just flew right by the window up to me and gave me a little wink. And let me tell you what, that is magic right there. Thank you, buddy. Confirmation that I'm in the right place. I had to put that in there. I'm obsessed with hummingbirds. They're like sweet little fairies. Okay, segueing back. So the people that need that support and love and recognition to know that you are not alone, that you are enough, and that there is healing and light at the end of the tunnel after you make the very, very brave and courageous choice to leave a belief system that no longer speaks to you, that no longer works for you, something you really don't believe in, something that is not your truth. And that is why this episode is called The Whole Truth, because I have to speak freely about this part of it 
and to offer support to those who feel like they have no one and that they are alone and to know that there's love here and there is miracles happening always for your ongoing transformation and healing and becoming who you are really meant to be. And so I honor any of those who are listening to this and that speaks to you. And it might not even be in levels of extreme belief religion, okay? So this could be in a different area of your life that you are feeling that way, that you feel um, exempt from, that you don't fit in, that people don't understand you, that you're different from everyone else. My God, I spent my whole life feeling like that. Oh gosh, I, I just hit it really well. But, you know, I showed this really confident air anytime I would walk into a room. But the truth was, is that I was hurting and I felt lonely and alone and misunderstood. And I didn't really know where I fit or if I would ever fit in anywhere. So with that, before I go into a little bit of my background and my upbringing, I want to touch on some feedback that I received after my first episode this last week, which by the way, was epic and overwhelming and absolutely confirmed for me that I need to keep speaking in a way that is unscripted and from my heart and in the verbiage that I use because it was it was pretty profound, the responses that I got through DMs and emails and voicemails and already reviews. I mean, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm just going to listen to the guidance that I'm getting and keep on talking. Now, the feedback that I got from a friend of mine was, and by the way, I take all feedback as useful feedback, whether I like, like it or not, it can always be useful if you choose to see it that way. So what my friend said was, oh my gosh, I loved your podcast. It was amazing. I've shared it with a few of my friends, but to be honest with you, they're probably not going to really vibe with or understand a lot of the woo-woo spiritual words and terminology that you use. And at first I was like, oh, well, I guess it's just the way that I talk and think and be now. So I do understand that because if I rewind to a few past prior versions of Melanie, oh my gosh, when I was first out on my own, the word Bible, the word religion, the word prayer, especially the word God, any of those words freaked me out. I would instantly shut down, boom, whatever you have to say next, I'm not listening because I I associated that with an old way of believing that were not my beliefs. And I did everything I could to run away from that. So then what that did is it shut me down from hearing anything that anyone else said after I heard a specific word. So my invitation to you is If I use words, which I will be, and we'll just call them spiritual words. I don't really like the phrase woo-woo, but sometimes I use it, and so we'll just go with that. Words like God, spirit, universe, vibration, energy, meditation, prayer, going within, even open at the top. You know, these are all terms that for me now, I am comfortable with not only using them, but because I have redefined what they mean for me. That has been my spiritual journey. My inner spirit has learned how to readopt certain words and certain phrases and certain terminology so that they no longer have power over me, but I can use them in a way that serves me in understanding how I am connected with everything around me, how I'm connected to spirit, God, universe. And here, here's, here's a opportunity as well. When I start my 
my either my Zoom groups or my in-person meditation groups, anyone who's new pretty much say the same thing. If there's any words that I use that are a little, you know, sticky for you or that could like snag you in some way or triggering, don't get hung up on the word. Keep listening to the message so that you don't miss the nugget. So you don't miss the juice of it. And if it's helpful, if I use the word God and you're not into it, change the word to whatever it is that you are comfortable with. Just allow yourself to keep being open to receiving and knowing that no one's here to change your mind, but it's just here to take in information. So hopefully that's helpful to you as far as the words that I use, you know, and for me, they don't have sting with me anymore. Now they roll off my back like water off of a feather. If something is said that I don't vibe with, I just don't get, I don't let it like snag me up anymore. I realized back then I probably missed out on a lot of really wonderful conversations or opportunities or experiences because I just wasn't willing to hang out with people or listen to people that used terminology that was associated with something in my past that made me feel uncomfortable and scared. So I just want to mention that to you because I think that it's important to mention that moving forward because I'm going to be using all those words. All right, cool. I'm glad that we got that out of the way. So moving into how I was raised. So I come from a family of six children. I'm number four. My parents are amazing people who have been married for 55 plus years, been together since high school. And they really rewrote the script of their lives by finding this religion. And it found a basis for them to live a new, better life than what they had had as young people themselves. So right off the bat, now, by the way, this has not always been my feeling or my perspective, but it is has is now, and it's taken me a lot of work to get here. But what I truly believe and how I truly feel about that is that I have massive respect for the fact that they have continued to remain in a certain type of faith and belief system consistently throughout all the ebbs and flows of their kids, me being one of them, and each of us being completely different and having different things that we brought to the table as challenges, at least for them, as parents that are Jehovah's Witnesses and sticking to those beliefs and structures, that they've always stuck with it. They believe it's the truth for them. They believe it in their heart. They know what they know. Even though I do not have those same beliefs, and even though I do not agree with them, And even though I knew at a very young age, probably about 13, 14, that that wasn't the deal for me, I have watched them consistently come back to their place of truth. And I have to say that I have to respect that. And I love them for that. And it's uh, taken a long time for me to get to that point. But if I want someone to respect me for my beliefs and who and how I am, then I have to be willing to offer that to those around me. And this has been one of my biggest growth lessons in my life is those people that I get to exercise that with are my family. And it's been really tough. So even as I'm speaking about this right now, I can feel like my my, my throat, like wanting to close up because I'm starting to speak about things that I've never talked about before. And there's definitely a fear that I have of being shunned or not talked to or being disapproved of because I'm talking about 
my experience. And I'm not bagging the religion because it works for some people, not many that I know, but it does. My family are one of them. And they're really good people. They're good, sound, loving, balanced people that live a very clean life. And I have a lot of respect for that. But at the same time, I also know that everything that I've been through, everything that I've moved through, everything that I've experienced as a result of being raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses and the work that I've had to do to become who I am now, I have to speak absolutely openly about it. Otherwise, why am I even doing this? You know, why am I even recording myself right now if I'm just going to blow smoke up your ass? So no smoke will be blown up your ass today. So yeah, so I was the fourth out of six kids. And so being raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, obviously there's the standards. There's no holidays, no birthdays, no Christmas, Thanksgiving, Valentine's Day, you know, Halloween, none of that. And my parents were very strict about that. By the way, not only just my parents were Jehovah's Witnesses, my grandparents on both sides along with cousins and aunt uncles. So it was like the whole family. And being raised in it is different than maybe going into it later and studying into it. Like this was just what I knew. It was my normal. Just like when you were a little kid, remember, whatever your mom told you, I guess for a lot of you guys, Santa is real, right? Didn't you believe your parents that Santa was real? Why? Because they told you. So whatever your parents tell you, you believe it. Well, obviously I was told from a as long as I can remember that Santa's not real, which is why we didn't have Christmas. But what I was taught was all of the religious beliefs and spiritual beliefs that they have from their translation of the Bible about what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. And so throughout most of my life, up until I was like preteen, I believed all of it. And I lived in a constant state of fear. I feared God. He was a old man with a white long beard sitting way up there in the sky, always pointing his finger and pretty much always being pissed because I never could do it right. And I lived in ultimate fear of this idea of Jehovah God, because there were so many things that were linked to that. You know, Jehovah's always watching you. Jehovah knows your thoughts. If you have evil thoughts, those are thoughts from the demons. Those are thoughts from the evil angels. You know, Satan's out to get you. These are things I was told as a child that Armageddon is coming. And anyone who's not a Jehovah's Witness, including if one of your siblings leaves, they're going to die at Armageddon. Jehovah's going to destroy anyone, including your family members who are not believers of Jehovah. I mean, the Dalai Lama, Oprah, you name the most influential, beautiful, life changing people on the planet. If they're not servants of Jehovah, they're going down. So it was very strange, you know, to grow up with that kind of thing, because you would look at people outside of your religious group and be like, oh, wow, I I hope they get the message. They don't die. And it was a pretty scary way to grow up. Even in our children's Bible story books, there were scenes in some of them, the the illustrations, cartoons, they're pretty frightening. So they really instill a good, wholesome fear in you about Armageddon coming and about a new earth being restored back to the original paradise. And that once Armageddon is over and there's basically been the reckoning and he picks and chooses all those who are staying, we're talking about Jehovah, by the way, then the earth is going to be restored back to its original paradise, like when Adam and Eve were here. And everyone who made it is going to live forever in paradise on earth. You'll never age. You'll never get sick. You'll never die. And you'll be able to live with all the animals. Like I have a family member that says, I can't wait to have a pet lion and a pet sheep or something like that. 
and I'm never going to get old and I'm never going to have wrinkles. And it's just some wild shit, you know? And I could go on and on about some of the beliefs that as I got older, I'm like, some of this just doesn't make sense. But the only people I ever had to go to to talk about this is before you could Google things were people within the religion. And like I said, everyone in my family pretty much was a Jehovah's Witness. So I was surrounded. And I was also pulled from public school after the fifth grade. So I only attended public school with like normal kids till I was in fifth grade. And then at fifth grade, I was pulled and I was homeschooled for a short period of time, which was brutal because this was back in maybe 1990. And that wasn't working. And come to find out there was a bunch of Jehovah's Witness families that were all homeschooling their kids. So they all got together and decided to create a private school where all the parents were the teachers and that they would bring all the kids together and make this like little school. And it was called PACE, Parents Alternative to Your Children's Education. And so it would be like kindergarten, then first through third grade, then like fourth and fifth grade, and then sixth through eighth grade, and then ninth through 12th grade. And each class would have anywhere from two to four students in it total for all those years of schooling. And the parents would basically take the curriculum of the homeschooling curriculum and then teach it in these little rooms that they had like built out this old house to. It was very weird. It was the weirdest time of my life. And anyone who attended that school with me can agree that it was some wild, wacky shit. But at the time, again, that was my normal. I didn't know any different, you know? I didn't realize that my upbringing and my life was super weird until way later when I entered into the real world and discovered that not anyone else had lived that way. So I was in pace until I was, oh gosh, 14, I guess. And then my mom pulled me out because I wasn't doing so well with that and put me into public school for a very short time. And that was when I really started asking questions and rebelling and, and really calling bullshit on a lot of stuff that I was witnessing happening within my family, which was shunning and excommunicating and disfellowshipping of not only family members of mine, but also friends. And what that entails is that the moment someone sins, meaning be human, and they don't seem repentant for it. They're publicly announced as being disfellowshipped, which is basically like, basically like in Scientology, being disconnected, excommunicated, like in the Catholic Church. Everyone has to shun you, including your own parents. So you're basically kicked out of the house. You're kicked out of like everything you've ever known. And they shun you. And that's like your punishment until they feel a little committee of men who I don't even know who chooses them to dictate whether or not you're worthy enough of coming back to the congregation so then you can even be spoken to or looked at again. And so I was witnessing these things happening as a child. It started started very, very young. I was six when I first saw my first family member treated this way. And it went on and on and on. So I started thinking like, hmm, that Bible verse that was just read about God is love, unconditional love, well, that doesn't really make sense with the way that we're treating people who really didn't do that big of a deal wrong. So I started asking questions young and I've always been a little bit of a free thinker and a little bit of a wild spirit. And obviously that is not received well in organized religion because they basically want sheep that will walk in the flock and just take orders and believe whatever they shoved down your throat. So that's what led me up to starting to run away at the age of 14. And um, I would go to certain family members' house that were not Jehovah's Witnesses. And I would be brought back home by my dad and the police and stuff like that. Obviously, yes, I was 14. I get it. But I just wanted out. 
I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't live this life of complete shelter. Like I couldn't go to the mall without a chaperone. We couldn't watch cable TV. All of my music had to be screened. I mean, it was really, really strict, like beyond. And all my friends, even my friends who were Jehovah's Witnesses, thought my parents were super duper strict. So it basically was just like holding down a spring as tightly as you can. And the moment there's a little wiggle room, that spring is bouncing. And that is what happened. At 15, I left home and moved in with a family member, which I can get into later, but I don't think I'll go into too much detail about that because it didn't turn out so well. Duh, I was 15. And, you know, I had never gone to real public school. I'd never been around kids that weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Their term is worldly people. I didn't even know how sex worked because it wasn't discussed with me. I didn't even know what drugs were. So when I started going to public school for the first time when I was 15, I was like a bird let out of a cage. I'm like, yes, all of it, music, drugs, cigarettes, pot, girls, boys, I don't care. I want to try all of it. And it was just like, because I was so sheltered and because I was so interested in just anything, I went off the deep end, man. Oh boy. And that's going to be the next episode, you know, but a little more nuggets about that. But yeah, it's hard for me to talk about that because oh, it's a story to tell, right? And there's so many other details in all of the things that I just shared. But once you leave, like you're cut off, man. And it's so hard because you don't have anyone else in your life. And I know how lonely that feels. I know how isolating it feels. I know how fucking terrifying it is to go out into the real world for the first time from a place that you've only ever known as your normal, but know that there is something more for you, that there has to be more than this. And to take that chance to give up everything you've ever known. You know, I did it. I've watched siblings do it. I've watched friends do it. And it's terrifying, but it's so worth your journey into your own freedom, into discovering who you really are, what you really like, what are you into? You know, I have a brother who was born the most fabulous gay man ever, but he had to hide it his whole life. And he will be a guest with me here soon because his experience is completely different than my experience. He's seven years younger than me. And it's just interesting to hear how many people, once they leave the religion, and interestingly enough, Jehovah's Witnesses call their religion the truth. And once you've left, quote unquote, the truth, you know, a lot of people end up realizing that they're really meant to go to college, that they are really in love with women, even though they're a woman. My brother absolutely always knew that he preferred men. He's never even been with a woman. And now he's married to a wonderful, wonderful man. And so letting go, setting yourself free and having a support team around you that gets it, that understands, and that can cheerlead you on along your way of setting yourself free is what we all need, man. And that's what really, what this episode is about and moving forward, because I have a long list of beautiful contributors that are ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, but are really making a difference for those who, who need love and support and help and clarity and the courage to continue to move into living the life that you've really always wanted because you deserve it, you're worthy of it, 
And all the questions about God and spirit and universe and all those things, they'll just come. For me, it took some time to lovingly re-educate myself about things. I went to lots of different churches and spiritual communities, and I just investigated for a long time, something I kind of always wanted to do. And I have now adopted a belief system that works for me, and it makes my heart sing, and it, and it lights me up. And now I'm a spiritual counselor that works one-on-one with other folks in this way. I work with folks in religious trauma recovery. And so I'm very passionate about knowing, letting people know who need it, that they have support here and that there's a community of people who can love you through the process. So that's where it all starts. That's the whole truth leading into other parts of my life, which are addiction, near-death experience, being a stripper, so on, so on, et cetera, et cetera, which is coming up. So I appreciate you and I appreciate you listening. And I hope you got something from this. And if you know someone who is struggling, you know, share this with them. That's what this is about. It's about sharing information and knowing that we are a tribe of people who want to rise higher who want to continue to set ourselves free from the bondages that have kept us small. And yeah, I just said all that. And guess what? I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I love you all. Thank you for listening. I so look forward to being with you again soon. In the meantime, I thank you for listening. I appreciate the love and support. I will see you soon. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Open at the Top. If you totally dug what you heard today and you found it to be valuable, please share this with a friend. And of course, if you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions for me or comments, any topic ideas, or if you might even want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at melaniemcculley.com. And please don't forget to connect with me on social media. It's at Melanie McCulley on both Instagram and Facebook. Until next time.